A reading from St. Matthew, the second chapter. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Epiphany reveals to us the glory of Jesus as he lies in that manger, his light shining so brightly that even the Magi from the east can see. They can see and they follow the star and they come to discover what they may of God's glory, of his king born in Bethlehem. Epiphany is the revealing of Jesus to the Gentiles. And one of the things that we learn in this revelation is that there are, there are really two kinds of people in the world. In our gospel lesson, we see these two kinds of people writ large on the page in front of us. It is not, however, the two kinds of people that might be imagined, that we tend to think of in this world. For instance, it's very relevant, it's very important for Paul in our epistle lesson, in our second lesson, that the two kinds of people in the world are not Jews and Gentiles. This was a big question at the time of the early church. What about the Gentiles? Is the gospel for the Gentiles? Has God come, has Jesus come to save the Gentiles, those who are not children of Abraham, those who weren't recipients of the promise down through the ages? What about them? Can they also be in God's kingdom? The answer of Epiphany is a resounding yes, for even the Magi from the East, who had something of the scriptures but had not the promises coming from Abraham, they also came and worshipped Jesus. The promises were also for them. This was a startling thing and something hard, hard for the Jews of Jesus' time to swallow, that the Gentiles should also be included in the promise, because it was their own national pride, it was their own ethnic pride that they thought distinguished them from the other nations. That, that's what they thought made them special in God's eyes. But it was nothing of the sort. It was God's promise that set, that set them apart. And had they been paying attention, they would have seen that that promise that promise of a future and a hope and a land and a kingdom, that promise was something that had been given to the Gentiles from the very beginning. For the promise given to Abraham that he would have a child in his old age and that that child would become a great nation, that promise meant that all of the nations of the world would be blessed through his family, 
The blessing was not just for him and for his children and for his grandchildren, but it was for the whole world. Just in Bible class this morning, as we were studying the Exodus, we saw how, as God called his people out of Egypt, even then, as they're separated from their Egyptian overlords, they leave Egypt as a mixed crowd. Because some of the Egyptians believed. Some of the Egyptians heard and recognized that God is Lord, and God gave them special provisions. Here's the Passover, God said. Celebrate the Passover year after year after year, and if you're going to celebrate the Passover, you must be a part of my people. And so if there's someone among you, God says, who's not a Jew, who hasn't been circumcised, he must become one of my people, and then, then he can celebrate the Passover. The promise was for all of the world, not just for the people of Israel. It was a promise given to them to be a light of the nations, a light that shines in the darkness. It was a promise for them to share with the whole world. The two kinds of people that we see in our gospel lesson are not Jews and Gentiles. Our world loves placing categories on people, putting people into categories. But the categories that God operates with in our gospel lesson, that he operates with in his kingdom, are very different from any of the categories that we see and love so dearly in this world. It's not the difference, say, between men and women, not the difference between liberal and conservative, not the difference between Republicans and Democrats, not the difference between Americans and other nations. It's not the difference between rich and poor or strong and weak or wise and foolish. It is not the difference between any of those things. The two kinds of people that we see in our gospel lesson this evening represent the difference between those who worship God and those who do not. Again, the promise is for all people. The only question, the only question is whether people will worship God, whether they will have him as their Lord or not. Arise, shine, Isaiah says, for your light has come, a light for all nations. Who will worship him? Who will bend the knee? In our lesson from Matthew, we see those two kinds of people vividly depicted. The tragic character of Herod shows us what it looks like to be someone who does not worship Jesus. On Sunday, we heard the lesson that follows after this one, the lesson in which Herod goes and sends to Bethlehem his soldiers to kill all of the baby boys. That tragedy, that tragedy and that uh, execution of injustice, all of those innocent children slain. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like for someone not to worship Jesus. For him to be so bound up in his own power and his own glory and his own interests in this world that he would even kill, that he wouldn't even kill the innocent in order to preserve himself, who would plot and scheme. You heard that terrible tone that he took with those poor, naive wise men as they came and asked where Jesus would be found. He said, tell me when you find him. I want to go and worship him too. That hypocrisy that covered his, his desire not to worship, but to kill and just to destroy, to keep his kingdom for himself, to continue on in unrighteousness and wickedness. He couldn't bear, he couldn't bear the thought of Jesus, the thought of a king who might take his place, much less a king who would rule over his whole life. That is what it looks like for those who do not worship Jesus, who do not bend the knee. They cannot live any other way except in rebellion against Jesus and in tragic breaches of justice, in tragic wickedness. That is the problem that infects our world. That is the problem that lies so deep in our world, the very problem that Jesus himself has come to remedy. 
If only, if only, everyone would bend the knee. If only everyone would recognize that he, there, who, who is lying in the manger, that he is Lord and God, come in peace, come in humility and tenderhearted to save, not to destroy, to heal and not to wound, to bind up the brokenhearted and to give us hope. If only, if only, they would bend the knee. But they do not. Those who do not worship Jesus, they do not bend the knee. And there is a day coming of judgment, a day in which all nations will bow down, some in terror. But for those who, like the Magi, have come to worship, it will not be a day of terror, but it will be a day of great joy. For just as they came to Bethlehem and found the baby there, and all of their hopes, all of their hopes for seeing the king of the Jews were vindicated as they saw Jesus with his mother and with his father, all of their hopes were vindicated, so also will it be on the last day for those who worship Jesus, for those who bend the knee. Take an example, though, from those magi, because they are not the kind of people we might expect. Look at them as they come, first of all, to Jerusalem. They are kind of naive, kind of confounded by what they have been following. Somehow, they knew that that star that had risen was a star that meant the king of the Jews had been born. Who knows what they thought about that? Who knows what they were expecting? It seems they had some portion of the scriptures, maybe something from the book of Numbers, a prophecy which talks about a star rising. Maybe they had that. Maybe that's what they followed. But who knows what they thought it meant? Who knows what they were expecting to find? They came to Jerusalem, and they had no clue what was going on. They had no clue about King Herod, his wickedness, what he was capable of. They had no clue about the politics of the day, the comings and goings of people in Jerusalem. All they knew was that there was a star, and they needed to follow that star to find what they were looking for. They were naive and confused and confounded and could easily have been misled. And yet God preserved them. He preserved them in their single-mindedness. The scribes and the wise men of Jerusalem knew the scriptures, and they said, Look, you're in the wrong place. The baby's not here in Jerusalem, where you would expect him to be. He wasn't born in the palace. He's not the son of Herod. Instead, we know from the prophet Micah that he's been born in Bethlehem, the least of the cities of Judah. Go there and you will find him. And they go, taking the advice of Herod, and I imagine fully expecting to come back and report to him because they thought he would come and bend the knee as well. They were naive and confused and confounded, and yet they followed the star. They followed the word. They went in search of this promise. And when they reached that baby and they gave him his gifts, there you see them completely vindicated. Imagine them, completely overjoyed. They had traveled across country, not knowing what they would find, not knowing what to expect. And here, at long last, is just what they've been looking for. Who cares that it's a baby lying in a manger? Who cares that his mild mother is there and has no idea what this is all about? Who cares? Here is the one that they had been looking for. Here's the one that had been promised to them. And here, at long last, they have someone to worship, someone who has come to give them peace. And so they give, them, they give to Jesus their gifts, gifts that have been speculated about throughout history. What do these gifts really mean? I think one of the best explanations lies in this. They gave him gold, of course, because he is a king, not just king of the Jews, but king of all nations. And they gave him frankincense because incense is what is appropriately offered to a god. Divine worship they gave to him in offering him incense. And they gave him myrrh. Myrrh, which is an anointment for burial. Not knowing, perhaps, 
that they were preparing him for his own burial. But nonetheless, they gave him these gifts, gifts that were truly fitting for that baby born in Bethlehem. But notice that even as they come and are just fulfilled in all of their hopes to find Jesus lying there, they are changed. Those wise men are completely changed by this experience. How could they be the same? And I think that that change is indicated by the fact that they hear in a dream that they couldn't, should not go back to Jerusalem because Herod is deceiving them. And so they return to their homes. They return to their homes by another way. They do not go back the same as they were before. They have come and they have found Jesus, the one they were looking for. They have come and seen the promise fulfilled before their very eyes. Like Simeon said in the temple, my eyes have seen your salvation. And they cannot but be changed. And so they go home new men. New men filled with hope. They must have been filled with hope of a future because they have found their king. They have found their Lord. I want you to take from this lesson an example from the Magi, from those wise men. Follow their example. Worship Jesus. Bend the knee. No matter how you have come to him, whether it is in naivety, whether it is in confusion or in confoundment, no matter how you have come to him, whether you know what to expect or what you're looking for, come to him and worship him because he is the one whom you need. Despite what is eminently relevant today, the political wranglings of this world, despite all of the terror and disarray and discord and strife in this world, which matches certainly what was going on in Jerusalem with Herod the Great, Despite all of that, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Be naive. Don't invest yourselves in the comings and goings of this world any more than the Magi did in the comings and goings of Jerusalem. Instead, go to Bethlehem. Look for Jesus. Follow him. Keep your eyes fixed on him. You don't have a star shining in the heavens, but you have something better. You have Jesus himself, a light shining in a dark place, the morning star that has risen from on high. Follow him. Follow him wherever he leads. You don't know what to expect. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what it will look like. It might be as surprising as seeing your king lying there in a manger. Go anyway. You have that word from Jesus. Trust in him. He is your shepherd who will not mislead you, who will not forsake you, but who will guide you to streams of living water. He is your king. Worship him and bring him your gifts. Not gold and frankincense and myrrh, but gifts fitting for your king and your God and the one who died and rose for you. Bring him your gifts of thanksgiving, your gifts of praise, and especially your gifts of receiving his promises, of receiving his forgiveness, life, and salvation. Be like the Magi. Pursue him. Follow that star with single-mindedness and devotion. And like the Magi, be changed. Return home by a different way. However it is that you came to Christ, however it is that you came to be in this church, in this place, hearing God's word, repent. Repent and believe that your sins have been forgiven, that you have been washed and made clean, that you have been restored to a new life, a new hope. You have been made into new people. Return home by a different way. And thank God that in spite of the trouble of this world, in spite of how irredeemable it appears, how lowly and worthless you and I are, he considered it worthwhile to send his son, to take on the form of a servant, to be found in human flesh, to be taken to the cross, 
to suffer and die, to shed his blood, to give up his life, to give up his spirit, to be laid in a grave where he never belonged, for you, to save you, to save you from that grave so that you can live eternally. Worship him. To him belongs all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.